I'm Josh Fisher, director of the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at Columbia University's Earth Institute, and this is Conversations from the Leading Edge. I'm here today with Andre Correa Dalmeda, an adjunct professor at the School of International and Public Affairs and program director at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Andre is a professor and a political economist and a development practitioner with academic management and leadership experience in the U.S., Europe, Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, and China. And he's an expert in the fields of institutional design, trust building, and international education programs and sustainable development. Currently, he leads several Columbia University initiatives that he designed and developed for China, Kazakhstan, Portugal, Egypt, and New York City. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Josh. So, Andre, your work involves institution building and design. I wondered if you could give us a little bit of your background and then talk a little bit about the work that you've done in designing and reinforcing institutions. Well, certainly. Uh, as I was preparing for this interview and looking back in my career, I, I, I came to this realization that I've been always invited to immerse myself in these very poorly structured uh, institutional environments, being asked to help develop the institutions that allow to bring an idea into a specific program, project, um, school or university, as it was my case in China for four years, to the point that one day I introduced myself as being the director of ambiguity, <laughs> precisely to illustrate what are typically the environments I work in. Now, when you say the director of ambiguity, you're really talking about ambiguous institutional arrangements or complex institutional environments? Well, I think both of them, but, but I, I, starting by a profound void of uh, connectivity uh, between whatever project or problem I'm, I'm asked to address and the broader environment where the project or the initiative uh, is embedded in. So on one hand, at the local level, it's very unstructured, but at the macro level, it needs to be uh, connected with. And in that sense, it's a, it's a mix of uh, void of structure with a very complex surrounding environment, which makes the ex exercise much more challenging and interesting because you need to be able to map out very clearly what is the context to be able to optimize the linkages of this new baby that we have in our hands, a project, a program, a master's or a school with the broader um, community. So it sounds like you work in, in systems of institutions, first getting a handle for the system or an understanding of the system and then mapping out the system dynamics. And it sounds like that requires a pretty good set of data to inform you on the system itself. Can you describe the link between applied research and institutional building institution design? Uh, absolutely. And if, if the first step in my work has always been the formulation of hypotheses or, or theories of change of things that we want to do or things that we want to change, either at the climate change level or health or education, the second step is the, the research that you need to conduct to inform that problem. Mm -hmm. And I always like to use the expression applied research because 
uh, as a practitioner, I'm a, a problem-driven um, or a, a solution um, a problem solver or solution-driven type of person. So research for me needs to be very targeted to a very specific set of variables that we that we want to understand. So in that sense, my my career in not only the my past career but my four and a half years at Columbia since I joined Columbia has been having these both components of applied research and program development. And, and again, and the program development comes precisely as an effort to build upon what we've learned into the development of these new institutions. And, and, and institutions, let me just clarify here, we always teach my students that we have the, the informal institutions and inf informal institutions. So to, to a very large degree, institutions are always there, the informal institutions at least. So, but then the, the energy and the need is to structure them and formalize them in ways that are, that are shared and understood by the you know whatever community we are we are working in so the the effort is to move from the informal ambiguous arrangement to a more structured arrangement it uh it sounds like for you institution is really a scale independent word or a scale um agnostic idea where institutions can be informal tacitly negotiated social arrangements all the way up to the very formal uh, level of nation states. I understand that you've worked to build institutions starting here at Columbia. Um, can you perhaps talk about that? Yeah, well, that's precisely why I was invited to come to uh, Columbia University, in particular to the School of International Public Affairs. At that time, Professor Glenn Denning and my colleague Glenn Denning was already leading a, a, a Master of Public Administration and Development Practice. But again, at that time, five years ago, not properly uh, built in and structured within the broader SIPA community and Columbia community at large. Uh, at that time, we were we had less than 50 students. We more than doubled the program since then. But what has been critical is the connections, the ties that we build around the student selection process, uh, student evaluation process, um, course review, even in what relates to the life of the students on a daily basis. That's, th that is not developed, that is not achieved by, by decree, that it's not achieved by concept notes or documents, that achieved by a, a daily effort to connect with the relevant actors. It can be the deans of students' affairs, it can be the financial aid, and feed and nurture that relationship on an ongoing basis. And to be fair and to be honest, much more, much beyond what the typical job description would require you to do. Um, and that's what I th why I think that if I need to single out uh, one specific variable, one um, uh, independent variable, in this in in this process, I would I would mention the idea of trust, and the whole idea of trust building. Of course, this is a very vague and a very romantic concept, but it can really be operationalized and researched upon, and 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 then you know acted upon that research. So it sounds like you're saying that to build effective institutions, you really need to build trust, and and that requires moving past a transactional set of relationships. Absolutely. L let me give an example. I've been working with, a, uh, with the Egyptian Minister of Environment on the development of a climate change center, research climate change center for, for Egypt. And there's obviously a very large number 
of scholars and intellectuals and academics um, in Egypt working on issues of climate change, but without a shared set of institutions, a shared set of rules of engagement, either about what type of information they collect or what type of information they share, what type of common technological platform exists to share that information. How is that information in those protocols connected with the decision maker, which ultimately is the is the ministry and, and, and his team. So are we really, uh, is the problem really the development of no more knowledge? No. Is the problem not knowing the trade-offs and the relationships between variables? Not at all. The problem is that we are, to a very large extent, organizing silos, either at the university level, it, it are the school silos. If we are talking about schools, we, we, the silos are the programs. And at the, at the public administration level, to come to the national scale, we organize around um, ministries. And so our lives are, to a very large extent, um, not enough connected to properly address the, the challenge of the 21st century. And it's, it, and it's actually very interesting that the 17th and the last Sustainable Development Goals, as proposed and hopefully adopted um, in September here in New York, is precisely about global partnerships. Just to give you an example of my conviction that many of our most basic problems in our days are not about, it, at international development level, uh, at, of course, at other levels such health, of course, we still need a lot of new research and we need to develop a lot of new, no uh, new knowledge on issues around cancer and other infectious disease. But at these um, governance type of problems, it's much more about coming together, it's much, much more about designing the right set of incentives to, as I used to say, to allow for a, a collective shared learning of win-wins. We need to move away from this competitive framework based on if I win, you lose, to a much more, um, a much better understanding of how to achieve win-wins. So if I can try and summarize that and correct me if I'm wrong. What I hear you saying is that in the problems of the 21st century, which we can characterize as sustainable development problems, it's not so much a lack of understanding on the boundary conditions that we're facing. Rather, it's a question of how do we build institutions that enable us to cooperate? In other words, it's not that we don't understand which basic needs are important or which sets of personal liberties might be important. Rather, the problem that we're facing is how do we build institutional arrangements that enable us to move past the inherent conflicts in a development exactly. agenda? Exactly. And partly that tension is understandable because research uh, and major discoveries happen in a relatively small number with very small number of scholars and researchers, you know, like one discovered or major break, scientific breakthrough may be discovered by two or three scholars or a group of five or ten collaborators. Uh, but then the implementation of those new ideas uh, will require, um, you know, villages and communities and civil society and private sector and, and government officials to come together to implement them. So to some extent, it's understandable. It's easy to understand why knowledge creation is moving faster than our capacity to organize, um, uh, which I think 
points to the to the what I tried to share in my most recent my most recent uh, um, essay on Huffington Post is that uh, we need to pay in our educational programs in our universities in our schools we need to pay much more attention to um, skills that help us understand each other better and that can can touch on issues of behavioral psychology, interpersonal neurobiology, negotiation, mediation, strategic reasoning, etc. Et so, uh, an example of what I'm trying to um, describe as as being um, an institution and trust building and breaking the silos. Recently, I launched a research program on the political reform in Portugal, uh, funded by the um, uh, Catholic University of Portugal. Um, and when I was, when the, the information was being disseminated across the country and even internationally, one colleague of mine, um, uh, a very well-known scholar in in the, in the country, asked me, uh, from a from an university different than the university that is funding the program, asked me, but Andre, the program is funded by the by University A. Can my students who are from University B apply for the program? So this is a type of question, mindset, or paradigm that we need to move beyond and move past. Um, uh, just because students from from one particular university, that should not preclude students from that university to participate in a broader effort to understand how political uh, institutions can be improved in, in the country. So this is just a, a, a very small example of how biased we are towards our own particular silos. So when you discuss breaking the silos or moving to a new intellectual paradigm, a new, even a new practice paradigm, what are the key things that we need to think about? What are the key steps that we need to take in order to move past our current siloing, our current disconnected set of institutions? I think I would point to three variables. Um, um, and time, communication and information. What do I mean by this? Uh, and first of all, the, 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 the initiative, AC4's initiative of having um, persons like me here today are an example of what needs to be done. It needs to continue to be done. So ways, you know, good channels of communication and engagement between, between the stakeholders in any specific situation. So communication, the possibility of bringing the parties together, the possibility of bringing the persons together. But that's not enough because then you need good information exchange. It doesn't help much if you bring two persons together to fight or to insult or to you know, insistently criticize um, each other. So the second variable is information. That's why I think applied research or research is so important to inform these conversations. And so it's not only about bringing them together, it's not only about engaging them in the dialogue, it's about in an informed dialogue. And, and to be uh, like a personal story, uh, it took me several years actually to engage in the block sphere world because in, in early stages, um, my impression was that the, the blog sphere was populated with opinions poorly grounded in data or, or, or evidence. So um, at some point, I finally found a comfort zone to, to and realize that the blog sphere could also be a space uh, besides the um, 
more structured scientific papers that we publish, the blogosphere could be a space to share ideas in, in well-structured and data-driven information. And the third variable, so communication, information, the third variable is time. We need to give time to these relationships to evolve. We need to give time for communication and information to be a communication to, 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 to go deeper and information to be explored. And, and the, the world is running very fast. And I don't know, I, I think this may be the most difficult variable of the three because communication means abound and are fantastic nowadays. Um, the capacity to um, analyze data and collect data, analyze data, it's also unprecedented. My question mark is, are we giving time to nurture these relationships and, and build trust? Because um, uh, these are ultimately the three variables that, uh, that we need to um, um, explore more in our, either in our educational programs, in our uh, even relationships with friends. We know from our relationships with friends and we know from our uh, own relationships at home that, that um, and even relationships between companies, that times, times matters. Well, I think that's a really good point. You know, there, when I hear you speaking about these things, two, two things come to mind. The first is that we have an urgent need to build new institutions and build better institutions currently. The second thing, though, that I think is critical is we need to educate a new generation with the new mindset, with a new, a deeper understanding of the skills required for overcoming our institutional barriers and our institutional silos, um, as well as the old, the barriers created by our old paradigms. And so in that sense, I think building a new set of leaders um, to take over the corporations, to take over the, the administrations, take over the civil society um, organizations is very critical and building a new generation that understands the need for the the deep trust that you discussed earlier moving past transactional relationships to deeper deeper engagement i have a very good example to illustrate exactly the point that you bringing to the table now in another country that i'm working i i run a research involving um political parliamentarians and the research was about an, a possible new electoral law so for decades, that uh, a new electoral law is being discussed in this country, and nothing, very little exchange or, or nothing at all. What my research found is that there are no statistical significant differences between uh, each party's perspective on the law, if you survey each parliamentary individually. But if when you come to the real world of the political discourse, um, they are not getting together to actually introduce the change. So this is a f because normally negotiation and, conf and, and conflict resolutions is about someone trying to sell something to the buyer or A, trying to convince B of something different that B person B thinks, right? In this particular example, all parties want the same, but that same, that institutional development does not occur. So my argument is that we are lacking learning spaces. We are lacking sa safe spaces, not only in our education system, in our programs, but also at the political level. You know the role that media play in you know, exacerbating these um, competitive paradigms and these competitive um, mindsets. Uh, parliaments itse themselves 
are 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 built again in a very silos based type of approach so we need to be creative and thoughtful and and smart on how we create these new learning spaces where parties A, party B come together and informed by information and the research that was produced, make them change their narrative, their understanding of the situation. And and this for me, it's a very paradigmatic situation. You have multiple parties wanting the same, but at the decision level, that does not happen because the system is designed to favor the silos creation, the self-affirmation of the existing silos. Silos can be um, a political perspective, can be a religious belief, you know, etc. So it sounds like you're saying that the current institutional arrangements really, really do favor competition over cooperation. We're still in a very, in a very prehistoric uh, mindset. We, for a very large extent, I'm not saying that there are no signs of hope. There are signs of hope, certainly. Uh, the role that technology has been playing in bringing us together, it's, it's, um, it's uh, um, an example. The role that the different religion configurations uh, have been playing in, in due to the fact of the uh, a deeper dialogue that has been happening among them plays a role. Uh, so there's uh, there's signs of hope certainly, and I'm and I'm a very hopeful person. But the mainstream paradigm is still very it's still based on intrigue and competition, and nothing against competition. Going back to the political arena, in my ideal, there would be a period for ideas to compete. Let's call it the electoral period. Uh, but after that electoral period the different political parties, and, and here I'm using political parties as an example, it could be other other types of actors, those political parties, you know, typically from a specific country, would come together as a true national team. And another example, a, a recent, a recent, recently I researched on the presence of the U.S. and China in Africa as an example of what the mainstream discourse is. The mainstream discourse is that U.S. and China are competing for Africa. Well, I've researched on aspects such as the, the, the role of the U.S. and China in development assistance, direct investment, market share, exports and imports in Africa. And what data shows you is that U.S. and China are not competing. They are working on 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 um, complementarity sectors, the sectors do not overlap. There's all there's maybe five ten percent of overlapping, but the data shows that the actual behavior of these two entities, U.S. and China, in the U in in Africa, are much more of complementary type of work. Are is much more based on each own market niche. Is much more based on the each country's. A competitive advantage than on these outright um, competition across Africa, and this is, gets confused because this course is is not the same as does not match what research is showing. So the question is, but why are we telling the, the st a story that it's not the story that is really happening? And so the fields of, as I mentioned, psychology and, and neurobiology and negotiation and social cognition, just to give some examples, would help us understand 
to flip the story to the true story, the real story. Um, we live in a world of meaning where our brains, minds, individual behaviors, and social interactions are interconnected by evolutionary design. A and traditional learning systems have been based mostly on um, working memory systems, uh, which focus on cognitive thinking, such as intelligence, problem solving, expert knowledge, and training. But Josh, um, what about social thinking? Um, and before globalization, the widespread of the World Wide Web and, and global international institutions, it was understandable that our social skills would be mostly learned locally through parents' education, close friends, and school. And to a very large extent, our lives were local, actually. Uh, but in nowadays, we are much more interconnected than ever and with much more um, interdependent international lives. Um, and we need new approaches to understand the minds of those we try to persuade, the minds of those we inform, negotiate with, and, and try to move forward. And so the fields I mentioned, which, which um, are not being brought to the fields of uh, international affairs and international development uh, and public policy um, as much as it should, in my point of view, um, can help us understand better our social brain, formulate better theories about the minds of those we interact with, and enhance our capacity to read people's mind, you know, the mentalizing system as it's called in technical jargon, um, develop emphatic motivation, synchronize and harmonize minds, develop reciprocal altruism, and ultimately, you know, just coming to a close circle to in our conversation, the idea of trust building and cooperation. And again, a second uh, full circle, <laughs> the, 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 the idea of the behind the 17th uh, Sustainable Devel Development Goal, which focus on global partnerships. So Josh, in, in summary, and going back to the, the three critical components that I mentioned before to you, the quality of information, the quality of communication channels, and the, the time approach to uh, relationship building, I would say that we are doing pretty well at the information collection level uh, with all the computer systems we have in place, Internet of Things, um, uh, and big data. Um, at the communications level, we have much more. There's a lot of room for improvement. And again, I just tried to give some examples of some of these um, new scientific fields could, could help with. For example, we can train the brain to delay expectations of reward. Um, and um, which, which it's known, it is known to be such a critical factor in any negotiation process, but still and still we are not bringing that type of training uh, and that type of understanding to uh, the public policy, public arena um, uh, space, and definitely not in our educational programs. And one last comment. Um, I'm a huge fan of the, the role information communications technology and technology can play in development. And, and I'm a strong believer that um, um, the use of game thinking and game mechanics, the gamification it's called, um, in non-game context, in real life, that's what it means, um, to engage users in real problem solving um, can be tremendously useful in these in these uh, enhanced uh, learning spaces and, and, and educational programs. That's a great point. There are the narratives that we that we're exposed to 
either through the popular media or uh, the political dialogue, the political dialogue and discourse. But then there's the reality. And so in your experience conducting this research, have you seen that these complementary initiatives on the part of U.S. and China are coordinated or are they emergent? Are they the product of a more tacit interaction and communication? Uh, I, I, I think they are mostly emergent. They are mostly emergent and, again, understandably so because it's very two very different countries, two countries with very distinctive competitive advantages, if I want to call I, I use the expression competitive advantage, not, not really from the competitive point of view, but from the point of view of uh, degrees of specialization in one sector on, or the other. So I argue that there's an initial level of um, organic bottom-up emergence, emergent phenomena, but then realizing what's happening, the, the parties, the, the companies, which, because they are the ones who operate at the local level, learn to work together and to, and to coordinate action. Actually, in another piece of work that I research around Kazakhstan, I'm precisely advocating for that. So the second study that I developed after Africa was the, the Kazakh case, where I argue that the U.S. and China could play a much more important role in bringing Kazakhstan to the center or a much more upgraded um, position in the interna international arena for several reasons, relationship with Russia, relationship with the, with, with the Middle East, and again, um, main, m mainstream discourse is not, is not uh, you know, letting, well, making that visible as much as it could. I'm not saying that, there's not, there's, that there's, things are not happening on the ground, but it, it's, it's taking time. Again, that, that, that all, the idea that I mentioned before, that knowledge creation is moving faster than the capacity to our capacity to engage and coordinate action. That's what I was just thinking as, as you were speaking. The popular media has a specific window of aggregation at which window of time that they look at um, Chinese-U.S. relationships in uh, extractive industry, in, in foreign investment. But the actual relationships that develop occur over a much longer time period. And so I think you're right that we need to expand the, the window of aggregation that the unit of time that we're um, examining when we think about development processes. So we've talked a lot about some of the skills that that need to be developed to move past the siloed approach and the discrete approach to development. Can you talk a little bit more about how those skills are being taught here in your work at Columbia or in some of the other educational um, programs you've been developing? So I would say the skills, but also the learning spaces, right? Certainly you, you obtain the skills uh, and you get exposed to those skills, techniques, and tools um, in, in, in the learning spaces that you design. So they are, they are obviously connected. But I, I, I always like to go back to this idea of the learning space. I give the example of the course that I developed for the, and since you, since you mentioned it, the course that I developed for the, for the Master of Public Administration in, in development practice at SIPA, which is a program that I um, co-run with um, Glenn Denning. The program by itself is designed around issues of multi multidisciplinarity and focus on practice. So there we are already covering uh, many of the things that we discussed here. The issue of um, um, solution-driven problem solver um, in a multidisciplinary setting. What we are now doing is to further 
uh, stretch the multidisciplinary perspective. For that purpose, we created two years ago, I created actually two years ago with the support of um, students and alumni, a new course called the Development Practice Lab. And what we try to do there it's to touch on many of these skills that we've been talking here. So while the, the, the curriculum is designed around some of the core courses, education, health, food, nutrition, energy, infrastructure, at the DP Lab, we created a, a, a three hours experimentation space around issues of embedded empathy, team coaching, um, and and. and social cognition in several of the labs that we that you organize around issues of participatory approaches um, even 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 on labs around the topic of monitoring evaluation which is a very important aspect in our program there's a lot of aspects of uh, people engagement and of course we have other more technical uh, labs such as uh, uh, budgeting and cost benefit analysis but we are trying to focus we are trying to narrow down the unit of analysis into the person. So we are moving from them. It's not the national level anymore. It's, it's not even the local level anymore, the municipality or the city or the village. We are trying to understand what influence the relationship between person A and, place and person B. And concepts that we use very often relate to, to empathy, um, to mind reading, um, to team coaching, just to give uh, uh, some examples. Basically, in, in, in summarizing, we need to delve much more into or bring more into our uh, programs um, behavioral sciences, which typically we haven't. It's interesting you say that, and it makes me think back to the article that you most recently wrote in the Huffington Post called The Meaning of Practice in the Age of Sustainable Development. And in that, um, in that piece, you talk about the work of John Dewey, and you say that inquiry or practice is thus always transformative. Um, can you describe a little bit more what you mean by that? That touches on the three aspects that I was talking about before, time, communication, and information. You inquiring, you are giving yourself the chance to interact with the subject, so communication. If, and the, in, the inquiring process itself, you'll be collecting information. I don't know exactly how long, how long that relationship will last and how much you will nurture that relationship. So that would not be per se enough to, to build trust. But in the, in, the, in, the, in the spirit of the author, what we are trying to, what, what we are emphasizing is that the individual experience, the individual practical experience matters at two levels. Matters at the level of the, the, the person who inquires and the, the, the new knowledge that he, she is able to assimilate. But more importantly, I think, or equally important, is that triggers the possibility a different level of engagement among the, the subjects of that process. So, uh, so we talk a lot about these top-down and bottom-up approaches. Uh, what I think I'm, I'm suggesting in this conversation today, Josh, is that uh, we need to further narrow the unit of analysis to people individually. And it's transformative in the sense that transforms the researcher and, 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 and in increases the, the likelihood of understanding how can we change the, uh, the incentive system in place to induce the broader um, national or, or regional or macro transformation. And 
at the practical level, we should all understand that new laws happen with a, a bunch of people gets around the law and approves the law, right? It's not just something that comes it, or it's uh, comes out of the mountain or or brought by the rain. So at the at the at the most fundamental level, the new institution is developed or institutional innovation occurs because there's a, a, a mental, a mind shift among a certain groups of persons that support the change and make that change happen. So the, so the question is, how do we understand each other better? How, do we use, how can we use science to really um, have these... Um, uh, fine-tune this possibility of engagement. And in neuroscience and psycholo psychology and, and other science have been um, certainly working on this. Anthropology has been working on this for decades. My question from a, a political economist point of view is how can we bring that, those lessons? How can we bring that, in, that research to our um, um, programs and to our research field? Well, these are certainly huge questions. And the the body of literature that you've already put out in the world and the literature that you're currently working on um, take some important steps to start to answer those questions. And we'll look forward to, to seeing your future work as it develops. Thank you for coming to, to speak with us today. Um, it's been a pleasure and very informative. Thank you, Josh, and, and thank you, AC4, for having me here today. Thank you.